Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our Ferndown campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Good morning. Great to see you. How are you? Are you good? Really, really exciting to be here. I haven't actually made it over yet since uh, Ferndown launched officially in January. Uh, so I'm really delighted and excited to be here. As Adam said, my name's Phil. Many of you will know me, and for those of you that do, we really miss seeing you every week over at Paul, but uh, it's great that you're here. And hello, it's my son trying to come and say hello. He's all right. Um, it's great that you're here and doing what God has called you to do here. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Phil. Um, great to be here this morning. Please do come and say hello after. I'd love to get to know you a bit. It's really exciting what God's doing here, isn't it? Really exciting what God's doing. I've been excited about it since the moment sort of Adam and Fru agreed to move the whole family to Upsticks from London or Bromley, which is not really London, is it? It's Kent, I suppose, isn't it? It's not really London, is it? Uh, to Upsticks from there and come down. I just, I just sensed in my heart that this was of God um, and that this is just going to be such a wonderful and exciting and fruitful adventure. Um, that Adam and Fru and the family are leading you guys through. And so it's great to be here. I really believe deep, deep down uh, that God has got exciting days ahead uh, for this campus. Such an exciting uh, future. And kind of with that in mind, I'd like to just share a word this morning. It's going to be uh, based around this whole idea of the attitude of faith. I'd like to share a word with you. Now, that's a really simple word. Really simple. Many of you who have heard me speak before know that I only do simple, right? I only do simple. And so I've got a, I've got a really simple word for you this morning. But it's, although it's simple, it's, it's deeply powerful and it's deeply challenging. And I just sense in my spirit that it's particularly important uh, for this campus to take a hold of at this time in your lives, at this time in the life of this campus. So I'm going to share this word with you, really simple to understand, really simple to understand, but truthfully not that easy to apply, okay? Often we find that with uh, the, the word of God, the truth of God, it's, it's quite simple to understand many times. I mean, the gospel in its most basic form is quite a simple truth to understand, but really difficult to apply, really difficult to apply to your lives and to your heart. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come and help us. Take hold of the word that he speaks and for it to bear fruit in our lives. So can I just pray and then we'll dig in together to the scriptures. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that illuminates your word to us. And it's our prayer this morning that as we spend just a few moments looking into the scriptures together, it's our prayer that your Holy Spirit would be very present with us. And in us, opening our minds to understand, opening our ears to hear, opening our hearts to receive, and causing our hands to respond in whichever way you're calling us to. So come and help us this morning, we pray. Come and help me, I pray. I pray you'd help me just to share these thoughts with integrity of heart, humility of spirit, and boldness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in a series of faith, which Adam 
kicked off for us last week when he spoke about the accent of faith. And we're asking over the next few weeks, what does it really mean to be a person of faith? What does it look like? What kind of life does a person who has faith in Christ live and lead? And this morning, I want us just to explore one question really together. And the question is this, what do you see? Write that down if you're taking notes. What do you see? Last week, Adam spoke about the accent of faith, Um, and he was talking to us about how faith speaks a different language to the language of the world. There is a sound to the language of faith that sounds different to any other language that sounds different to the language of the world. And so we talked about how we thought about how as people of faith, we should learn to speak a different language. A language that is being taught to us by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. So faith speaks a different language. But what I want us to think about this morning is that not only does faith speak a different language, but faith sees a different picture. Faith sees a different picture. What I mean by that is that faith looks at the world, looks at people, looks at places, looks at situations from a different perspective to the way everybody else would. Faith sees a different picture. As we grow in faith, as we increase in the faith, we need to learn to see things differently to the way the world sees them. We need to learn to see things from God's perspective than from humans' perspective. We need to learn to see a different picture. And in fact, what faith does, it doesn't just help us to see things differently. It actually helps us to see things as they really are. Not just different to the world, but actually more accurately than the world as well. And as we begin to see things differently, what we discover is we begin to think about things differently. As we begin to look at the world, at people, at places, at situations from God's perspective, not only do we see them differently, but we then begin to think about them differently. And as we begin to think about things differently, this new kind of attitude emerges deep within us. It's the attitude of faith. We see things differently, which leads to thinking about things differently, which creates an attitude of faith within us. I hope this is making sense. If not, I want to show you this in the scriptures. There's lots of places we could go in the scriptures to talk about how the attitude of faith sees things differently or the eyes of faith see things differently. But this morning, I want us just to look at a few verses in the book of 1 Corinthians. We don't need that up just yet. Can you just flick it back to the opening slide, please, there, Simon? That's great. We'll get there in a minute, but I just want to... uh, create a bit of backdrop. We're going to look in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians was, or is, a letter. It's actually a letter. It's not a story. It's not a book. It's, it's a letter that was written to a church 2,000 years ago. The church it was written to was in a place called Corinth, and the church was a young church, a young church, only a few years old, with, to be honest, not that many people in it. Actually, To be truthful, it's not that dissimilar to the situation we're finding ourselves in right here. This is a new, newly planted church. Only a few months old at the minute and not a huge number of people here at the moment. At the moment, amen? At the moment. It's a young church. 
And so the book of 1 Corinthians, in some ways, should resonate with the situation here, with what God's doing here at Ferndown, Sunny Hill Ferndown. And the story goes a little bit like this. It was written by um, a guy called Paul. He was an apostle. Now, Paul, I'm sure many of you will know, but in case you didn't, Paul was a guy who features really heavily in the New Testament of the Bible. In fact, he wrote most of the New Testament uh, in the Scriptures. And he was a guy who, uh, before he was called Paul, his name was Saul. And when he was Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. In other words, he hated Jesus and he hated the followers of Jesus. And he made it his life's mission to do everything he could to destroy the works and the memory and the name and the reputation of Jesus and the church. And so he went about traveling all over sort of ancient Israel, trying to persecute Christians, trying to destroy and close down churches that had been established. But you know the story, right? He had this amazing encounter with the risen Jesus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. And from that moment, his life was flipped upside down. He was a transformed man. He went from being someone who wanted to persecute the church to being somebody who began to plant churches wherever he could. Right? He went from being somebody who hated Jesus to being someone who loved Jesus more than anything else. I mean, some of his words were just so profound and so amazing. At one point, he said, I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I mean, this was a guy who hated Jesus. His life had been transformed by an encounter with Jesus. And now he, began, he spent the rest of his life traveling around from place to place in, in sort of Medita- Mediterranean area of Europe. And he began planting churches wherever he went. He would go to one city. He would preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. People would respond to the message. He would plant a church there. Believers would begin to gather. They would begin to meet together and pray together and impact their community for the name of Jesus. And then once he'd planted a church there and established it, he'd move on to another place. He'd preach the gospel. People would get saved. Another church would be planted. Another community impacted with the power of the gospel. And then Paul, once he'd established that church, he'd move on to somewhere else. He'd preach the gospel. People would get saved. Another church would be planted. Another community being transformed by the power of the gospel. That's what Jesus wants to do here, right? It's what Jesus wants to do. It's not just about us gathering on a Sunday morning. It's about the community being impacted and transformed with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul went from place to place planting churches. And one of the places he went to was this place called Corinth. And you can read the story about how the church got planted there in Acts chapter 18. We won't go there now. But Paul went there, he preached the gospel, people got saved, a church was planted. And it says in Acts chapter 18 that Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth teaching the word of, the, the word of God to those who got saved. A year and a half he was there, just establishing the, ter- the church, teaching them the basics of the faith. After a year and a half, he moved on. He thought the church was strong enough to cope on its own, and so he moved on. He went to a place called Ephesus in Turkey. And he planted a church there. And he spent three years in Ephesus teaching the word of God, getting the church established. Now, while he was in Ephesus, he obviously didn't really know how the church he'd left back in Corinth was getting on, right? He didn't know because, I don't know if you know, but in Paul's day, they didn't have mobile phones, right? Right, they didn't have mobile phones. They didn't have email. They didn't have social media. They didn't even have landline phones, right? And so getting messages from, from one place to another was a, a tricky business. In fact, in many, many times it was impossible. And where it was possible, it took a long time. 
took a really long time. You'd, you'd give a message to someone and then you, you could be waiting several months or even more before that message gets to the place you wanted it to get. And so Paul, three years in Ephesus, he doesn't really know what's going on back in Corinth where he just spent 18 months. Towards the end of his time in Corinth, uh, some, some, some of the guys he left back in Corinth, uh, towards the end of his time in Ephesus, sorry, some of the guys he left back in Corinth came to see him. And they brought a report to him about how the church was progressing in Corinth. And truthfully, it was a dreadfully worrying report. The church that had been planted in Corinth, the church that Paul had spent 18 months trying to establish, truthfully, it was in chaos. It was a mess. It was full of broken, messy people who didn't really understand what it meant to be the people of God. I mean, when you get a chance, just have a read through the book of 1 Corinthians and you'll discover that that was a church that was broken, that was messy, that was in all kinds of chaos. I mean, all kinds of things was going on. There was division amongst the people. They were arguing with each other. Little camps were beginning to emerge within the body of people and they were beginning to come into conflict with one another. There was all kinds of sinful and immoral behavior, all kinds of sexual morality taking place in the church. There was, there was members of the church taking out lawsuits against one another. I mean, these guys would come to communion and rather than using communion as a moment to remember the, the sacrifice of Christ, they would use it as an opportunity to get themselves smashed, Right? I mean, this was a church that was chaotic, that was messy, that was broken. And so Paul gets this report about the church and he is worried about it, obviously. And so what Paul decides to do, he decides to write a letter to the church back in Corinth, addressing some of the issues, addressing some of the chaos, addressing some of the problems that had been reported to him. And 1 Corinthians is that letter. 1 Corinthians is that letter that Paul wrote. And the basic message that Paul delivers in this letter is this to the church at Corinth. Guys, it's time to grow up. Right? It's time to grow up. They were behaving like infants. They were behaving like babies. And Paul writes to them and says, you've got to grow up, guys. You've got to grow up. In fact, in, in the first verses of chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, brothers and sisters, I can't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, right? By the time Paul wrote this letter, the church in Corinth was five years old. But they were behaving as if they were five months old. And so Paul writes this letter and his basic message in the letter is this. Guys, you've got to grow up because the reality is this. Churches, Christians, disciples need to grow, friends. They need to grow. They need to grow. Churches, disciples, Christians, anyone who names the name of Christ, anyone who professes to believe and be a follower of Christ, you need to grow. Okay, I've got four kids. Okay, when my kids were babies, right, we did everything for them, yeah? You do everything for, for newborn babies. You carry them, you hold them, you feed them, you change them, you clothe them. You, you do everything they need to do. When they wake up screaming in the middle of the night, you get up and get them, you, you push them. You, you do everything for babies, right? Everything. Everything they need, you're there to do it for them. Because they don't have the ability, they don't have the wisdom, they don't have the strength, they don't have the capability to do it themselves. But when they grow up, three of my kids are now sort of six and over. Right? We don't change their nappies anymore, Right? 
We don't change their nappies. We, we, don't, we don't get up to them in the middle of the night and give them whatever they want. We don't feed them with a spoon anymore. You know, we don't push them around in buggies anymore. Why? Because they've grown up. Because, you see, babies have to grow up. And just in the same way that people have to grow up biologically. So, churches, Christians, people should be growing. But the problem with the Corinthian church was they weren't growing. They hadn't grown up. They were five years old, but they were still living, believing, thinking, seeing as if they were five months old. And so Paul wrote this letter. And the message is, you've got to grow up. And it was an intense letter. It was an honest letter. Quite striking language at times in the letter. Sometimes you might even say that Paul's words were quite severe in this letter but with all that in mind what I'd love us to do with all of that backdrop in mind right the context that Paul's writing to what I'd love us to do is just look at the first few verses of this letter and notice carefully with all of that in your mind the backdrop the situation that Paul's writing to notice carefully how Paul begins his letter to the church at Corinth can we flick it on to the screen. I'm going to read from the start, but we're only going to focus in on verses 4 to 9. It says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, verse 4, I always thank my God for you. Because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you firm to the end. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's an amazing introduction to this letter. When you consider the backdrop, when you consider the context, when you consider the mess and the chaos and the brokenness and the sinfulness that Paul was writing to address, when you consider that Paul's Basic message in this letter is you've got to grow up. The way he introduces this is stunning. Because you see, Paul doesn't begin by rebuking the church at Corinth, right? That's not where he starts. He doesn't begin by telling them how disappointed he is with the way things have gone since he left. He doesn't even begin by giving them some instructions. He begins by saying this. So thankful for you. So thankful for you. You're a richly blessed people. You have everything you need. You're a gifted people. And you have a God who is faithful. Is going to ensure that you make it through to that last day. And stand blameless before him. You see in many ways the, the, the church at Corinth were, were a bit of a nuisance to Paul Right? I mean, they were a bit of a headache to him. The chaos, the behavior, the brokenness, the conflict, the division. I mean, it was a stress that Paul could have done without, right? 
You go into the second letter to the Corinthians and Paul talks about how daily he feels a burden of anxiety for the people at Corinth. I mean, the church was a bit of a nuisance. And so you'd forgive Paul for beginning the letter by saying, brothers and sisters at Corinth, I'm fed up with you. Right? You'd forgive him, wouldn't you? Brothers and sisters at Corinth, you know what, I'm, I'm just complaining to God about you all the time, right? Brothers and sisters at Corinth, I, I wish you'd get your act together. Brothers and sisters at Corinth, I mean, you're five years old for crying out loud. Can't you sort yourselves out? What is this report I'm hearing? I mean, this is unbelievable. Fix yourselves up. Pull your bootstraps up. Come on. You'd forgive him for beginning. I mean, that's the way I'd begin that kind of letter, but no, not the Apostle Paul. In spite of the stress, in spite of the burden of anxiety that has been placed on him, he begins by saying, brothers and sisters at Corinth, I'm so thankful for you. You're a richly blessed people. You're a gifted people. You've got every spiritual gift you need. And you've a God who is faithful, who's going to see you through to that final day. You see, Paul chose to look at the church at Corinth through the eyes of faith. He chose to look at that church in Corinth and he chose to see a different picture to what everybody else was seeing. And as Paul looked at that church in Corinth through the eyes of faith, a new attitude began to emerge. An attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of hope, an attitude of faith. See, when Paul looked at the church at Corinth, he didn't see a bunch of useless, worthless screw-ups who were behaving childishly. Now, when Paul looked at the church in Corinth, he saw a bunch of blessed, gifted, anointed, rich people who'd been called to God through Jesus Christ. You see, Paul chose to see a different picture. He chose to look through the eyes of faith. Now, Paul wasn't deluded, right? This wasn't just wishful thinking or positive mental attitude from Paul. He wasn't, he wasn't ignoring the chaos. He wasn't ignoring the mess. He wasn't ignoring... He's going to spend the rest of the letter addressing those things. He wasn't deluded, you know? He wasn't blind to any of it. But he was looking through the eyes of faith beyond the chaos of the surface to a deeper, more glorious reality. And that's what the eyes of faith do, my friends. Last week when Adam spoke to us about the accent of faith, he said something that was, I just loved it. It's so powerful and so true. He said this, he said, I don't know if you can remember, he said, faith faces the facts. But what? Do you remember? Was anyone listening last week? Faith faces the facts, but believes the truth. That's so profound. That's brilliant. Faith faces the facts, but believes the truth. And Adam connected it to Abraham's story. When Abraham in Romans 4, we're told, was he faced the fact that his body could not produce a baby. He did not have what, what was in it to produce a baby, but he didn't waver his faith. He continued to believe that there was a deeper reality than what you saw on the surface. Faith faces the facts but believes the truth. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in a letter to the Corinthians. He's facing the facts. He's not ignorant of the issues, right? 
He's not ignorant of that. The facts are this church is a mess. This church is broken. It's full of childish people and there's all kinds of chaotic behavior happening. Those were the facts. But the truth was, the truth about the church in Corinth was, this is a bunch of people who are blessed and rich and anointed and they have a glorious future. That was the truth. Faith faced the facts. Paul faced the facts, but he believed the truth. This is such a challenge. I told you it's simple, but it's challenging. Really challenging because we need to learn to look at people, to look at situations through the eyes of faith, just like Paul did. And I think this is a challenge, especially for you guys here at this time. At the start of your journey, at the start of this glorious adventure that God is taking you on. At the start of what God is doing here at Sunny Hill Farndown. This is such an important thing to take a hold of, to be challenged by. Because here's the truth. Not many of us here now. But many babies are going to be born here. Not literally, that would be disgusting. Or maybe, maybe. Many people are going to experience what it means to be born again here. Right? Believe that. You believe that? With faith. Many babies are going to be born here in the future that God has. And here's the thing. Babies don't always grow up as quickly as you want them to. Right? They don't. I wish all of my kids would have learned to feed themselves from day dot, right? I wish all of my kids would have known how to wipe their own backsides from day one, right? I just, I wish that, man. Oh, goodness me, I wish that, right? I wish all of my kids learn how to just get themselves back off to sleep. Oh, please, Lord. I wish. But babies don't grow up as quickly as you want them to. And if many babies are going to be born here, which I know we all desire, right? We all desire that. You you need to understand that a measure of chaos and mess and childishness is going to come with that. Yeah? And when there's many babies in the same room, do you know what happens? Chaos. Yeah? Noisy. Fighting. Spitting. Conflict. Arguing. Whinging, moaning. When there's many babies in the same room, chaos happens. And in these moments, the choice we have to make as mature, seasoned believers, which most of us are in this room, maybe not all of you, but most of us, the choice we have to make in those moments is what am I going to see when I look at that room full of chaos? What am I going to see? Am I going to see a bunch of annoying, broken, childish, immature, irritating people? Or in that moment, am I going to see a room full of rich, blessed, gifted, anointed, cooled people? You need to make that decision. What are you going to see in those 
moments. And it's really important because if in those moments when the room's full of babies and chaos is ensuing and conflict is emerging and brokenness is just everywhere, if you choose to see a room full of childish, immature, irritating, annoying people, you, you know what attitude's going to emerge? Do you know what attitude is going to emerge amongst the body here? Grumbling, complaining, arguing, negativity, discouragement, whinging. And when that attitude begins to emerge and become part of the culture, no one's going to want to be here. Nobody will want to be here. But friends, if in those moments where you've got a room full of babies and you look at them and instead of seeing just a bunch of childish people, you see a bunch of gifted, blessed, rich, anointed, called people with a glorious future. Do you know what attitude's going to emerge? Thankfulness, love, grace, hope, joy, patience, kindness, goodness. And when that becomes the fabric of your culture, friends, you ain't going to be able to keep people away. You're not going to be able to keep people away. And so what do you see is the question. What do you see when you look at one another? What do you see when you look at the community of faith that God has placed you in? What do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Do you look through the eyes of faith and see people and a body with a glorious future? Or do you look through the eyes of the world and you see broken, messy, hopeless, useless people? And I guess I just wanted to challenge you this morning as I was preparing, I was planning actually on bringing a different word, but I just felt like God laid this on my heart to bring to you this morning. At the start of this journey, at the start of this thing that God is doing, with so many exciting times ahead for this body of believers, I want to challenge you to commit yourselves today, to commit yourselves to choosing to look through the eyes of faith at one another, at the babies that God is going to bring to you here. Begin to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness and hope and encouragement. That's what the attitude of faith looks like. It doesn't ignore the facts. It just sees a brighter future doesn't ignore the issues we need to deal with issues and like I said babies do need to grow up right don't ignore those things but we don't dwell on them we look through them we face the facts but we believe the truth and so when conflict emerges when chaos ensues when things get messy which they will do because church is full of people right when things get messy I want to challenge you don't be grumblers don't be grumblers don't be complainers don't be pessimistic you know don't be whingers don't be 
moaners. Don't fall into that danger. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you firmly hold to the word of life. Do you see what Paul's saying there to the Philippians? When you choose to adopt an attitude of thankfulness and hope and life and faith and refuse to adopt an attitude of grumbling or complaining. See what Paul says? You begin to shine. You begin to shine like stars against the darkness of night. And you see, do you see what's going to carry your witness into this community? Do you see what's going to make your witness more effective in this community is not just the ministry that you deliver, right? It's not just the words that are spoken from this pulpit. It's not just the projects that you establish. They're not the only things that are going to increase the clarity of your witness and the effectiveness of your witness in this community. Do you know what's going to increase the clarity and the effectiveness of your witness? It says all of us, all of us commit to this attitude of thankfulness, to this attitude of of hope. This attitude of grace and patience and kindness. Then you will shine like stars, Paul says. You shine like stars against the darkness of night. It's not just about the ministry that you deliver. It's about the attitude that you carry. And the great thing about this is that we can all be involved. We can all take responsibility for the effectiveness of our witness because it's not just about the ministry that's delivered because truthfully not everyone's called to this not everyone's got a part to play in, 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 a, in, a, in a platform ministry but everyone's got a part to play in adopting the attitude of hope filled thankful grateful faith filled believers what do you see? what do you see? chaos emerges what do you see when conflict emerges what do you see when brokenness just reveals itself what do you see what do you see why don't we stand together we're going to pray you know I just sense that this like I say, simple word, not difficult to understand, but friends, difficult to apply, right? This is difficult to apply. It's not easy. It's not easy to have hope in broken situations. It's not easy to be gracious in the face of conflict. It's not easy. We need the Holy Spirit's power. It's not easy to look at messed up broken people and believe that they have a glorious future that's not easy we need the Holy Spirit's power and I just believe so deeply that so many babies are going to be born here I just do and as I sense that at the beginning of this journey before before the babies really become begin to come it's important that those of us those of you who are established as part of this community commit yourselves 
to seeing people, to seeing babies through the eyes of faith. And so I think it's important for us as a body here just to commit ourselves to that. But, you know, even as I'm speaking, it, it may be that some of you, some of you haven't even learned to look at yourself through the eyes of faith yet. It may be that some of you in this room are looking at yourself through the eyes of the world, right? It, it may be that some of you, when you look at your own life, all you see is mess and chaos and brokenness and conflict and sin. And, and maybe your attitude towards yourself is one of hopelessness, useless, worthless, no hope, no future. Maybe, maybe even as you look at yourself, that's the way you feel. But actually, God, God wants you to begin to look at yourself this morning through the eyes of faith. No matter how broken you may be, no matter how much you may struggle with sin, no matter how messed up your life may be right now, God wants you to look at yourself through His eyes. Because when He looks at you, do you know what He sees? Blessed, gifted, valued, anointed, called man or woman of God with a glorious future. That's what God sees. And so we're going to pray and as I pray, just uh, respond however you feel like you need to this morning. Let's pray together.